This is section 15 of Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain. Territorial Enterprise, February 1864, Part 2. Legislative Proceedings. House, 28th day. Carson, February 8th, 1864. This bill appears, to a man up a tree, to be a bill of sale of Nevada Territory to the California State Telegraph Company. They never print this kind of bills, wherefore I shall have to copy it myself for you. It flashed through the house under a suspension of the rules, before you could wink, they tell me. It provides that Mr. Watson, his other name is the California State Telegraph Company, shall have the exclusive right to connect Star, Unionville, Austin, Virginia, Gold Hill, Carson, etc., etc., with Sacramento and San Francisco, and nobody else shall be permitted to do likewise for five years after this line is completed, and with a liberal length of time allowed Mr. Watson in which to get ready to begin to commence completing it. To have all the telegraph lines in the hands of one company makes it a little binding on newspapers and other people. Mark Territorial Enterprise, February 1864, Legislative Proceedings, House, Twenty-Ninth Day, Carson, February 9. I see you want the A's and No's on all important measures. Long ago I got a batch of roll-calls and prepared to post the people concerning the final action of this body upon the various bills presented. But I got tired of it. I found the House too unanimous. They always voted I, and I discovered that the list of no's was a useless encumbrance to the roll-call. Now, when an important measure passes this house, and I neglect the roll-call, that need be no excuse for your doing the same thing. Just publish the list of members and say they voted I. You'll be about right. The thing is done thus. When a bill is on its final passage, and a member hears his name called, he rouses up and asks what's going on. The speaker says, by way of information, Third reading of a bill, sir. The member says, Oh, well, I vote I, and becomes torpid again at once. Now, concerning that infamous telegraph monstrosity, it passed to its third reading in this house on the 4th of February. Messrs. Babcock, Dixon, Gray, and Stewart were absent, and had no opportunity of voting I, but all the balance voted affirmatively, of course, as follows. Eyes, Messrs. Barclay, Brumfield, Calder, Claggett, Curler, Dean, Elliot, Fisher, Gillespie, Gove, Heaton, Hess, Hunter, Jones, MacDonald, Nelson, Phillips, Requa, Tennant, Trask, Unger, and Mr. Speaker. Knows none. Territorial Enterprise, February 1864, Legislative Proceedings, House, Tuesday afternoon, Carson, February 10. The House then went into Committee of the Whole on the special order, Mr. Fisher in the chair, and took up the first bill on the list. Some seventy-five ladies have swarmed into the House, and the process of swarming still continues. I have a presentiment that I am to have an exhaustless stream of weak platitudes inflicted upon me by young Gillespie and other unmarried members. Mark. Territorial Enterprise, February 1864, Legislative Proceedings, House, 31st Day, Carson, February 11. The House met at 10 a.m., present, 18. 
absent messrs claggett dixon gillespie phillips stewart and unger questions of privilege mr heaton rose to a question of privilege and said he was reported in the enterprise as having moved that the committee of the whole recommend the rejection of miss clapp's seminary bill that was a mistake he said his motion was to refer the bill back to the standing committee on colleges and common schools i suppose that is true i do not consider myself responsible for mistakes made when the house is full of beautiful women who are writing tender notes to me all the time and expecting me to answer them in cases of this kind i would just as soon misrepresent a member as any other way mark mr heaton was easy on the reporters but he was very severe on mr gillespie he said it would appear from the report that mr gillespie included him among those members who had dodged the issue on the telegraph bill whereas he was absent from the house by permission of the speaker with the prison committee the speaker said there was nothing incorrect about the report that mr heaton was shielded from mr gillespie's insinuation by a preceding paragraph which stated the fact that he had been excused from attendance whereupon jefferson's manual arose the same being known on the credit accounts of the several saloons as young gillespie and proceeded to waste the time of the house as usual in dilating upon some trivial distinction without a difference he was after the reporter of the enterprise in the first place but before i could catch his drift he fell a victim to his old regular parliamentary usage dysentery passed his brains and became a smiling, sociable, driveling lunatic. Consequently, I failed to find out what I had been doing to young Gillespie after all. Mark Twain House, Afternoon Session Message A message was received from the Council transmitting the following bills. Council Bill Incorporating the Austin Christian Association The Speaker was at a loss to know what committee to refer a bill of such an unusual nature to, wherein his head was level. He finally referred it to the Lander delegation, two of the most faithful and consistent supporters of the devil there are in the House. Mark. Council bill for the relief of certain parties, referred to the Committee on Claims. At 5 p.m. the House adjourned until 6.30 p.m. While I was absent a moment yesterday on important business, taking a drink, the House, with its accustomed engaging unanimity, knocked one of my pet bills higher than a kite, without a dissenting voice. I convened the members in extra session last night, and deluged them with blasphemy, after which I entered into a solemn compact with them, whereby, in consideration of their reinstating my bill, I was to make an ample apology for all the mean things I had said about them for passing that infamous, unchristian, infernal telegraph bill the other day. I also promised to apologize for all the mean things that other people had published against them for their depraved action aforesaid. They reinstated my pet to-day, unanimously, thus fulfilling their contract to the letter, and in conformity with my promise above referred to. I hereby solemnly apologize for their rascally conduct in passing the infamous telegraph bill above mentioned. Under ordinary circumstances, they never would have done such a thing, but upon that occasion I think they have been fraternizing with Claggett and Simmons at the White House, and were under the vicious influence of Humboldt whiskey. Consequently, they were not responsible, sir, 
they were not responsible either to anybody on earth or in heaven. Mark Twain. Territorial Enterprise, February 1864. Legislative Proceedings. House, Friday afternoon. Carson, February 12. An Act to Amend an Act Relating to Game and Fish. The passage of this bill was also recommended. It provides that trout shall neither be caught in this territory nor exposed for sale between the 1st of January and the 1st of April, under a penalty of $25 for each fish caught, killed, or destroyed, or bought, sold, or exposed for sale. The act goes into effect on the 1st of the coming March, and therefore it would be well to publish it for the information of the people. It is a good law, and calls our lake by its right name Lake Bigler, and rejects the spoony appellation of Tahoe, which signifieth grasshopper in the digger tongue, and breech-clout in the Washu lingo. Bigler is the legitimate name of the lake, and it will be retained until some name less flat, insipid, and spoony than Tahoe is invented for it. I am sorry myself that it was not called in the first place by some cognomen that could be persuaded to rhyme with something, because, you see, every sentimental cuss who goes up there and becomes pregnant with a poem invariably miscarries because of the unfortunate difficulty I have just mentioned. I speak of the matter lightly, but it is not a frivolous one for all that. A very beautiful thing was once written by a distinguished English poet about our royal river at home, but the loveliness was all mashed out of it by the stress of weather to which he was obliged to succumb in order to gouge a rhyme out of its name. He had to call it Mississippi. Mark. Territorial Enterprise, February 1864. Legislative Proceedings. House. Saturday Afternoon. Carson, February 13. An Act to Incorporate the Virginia, Gold Hill, Washoe, and Carson Railroad. More railroads, you observe. The Council killed the Virginia and Dayton Railroad bill the other day. That franchise was well guarded, and the road would have been built. Will this, or any of the others? Rep. Mr. Barclay moved to lay the bill on the table. Lost. Bill then passed by the following vote. Eyes, 11. Nose, 9. Territorial Enterprise, February 1864. Letter from Mark Twain. Carson City, February 13, 1864. The Carson Undertaker continued. Editors, Enterprise. The Independent takes hold of a wretched public evil and shakes it and bully-rags it in the following determined and spirited manner this morning. Our friend Mark Twain is such a joker that we cannot tell when he is really in earnest. He says in his last letter to the Enterprise that our undertaker charges exorbitantly for his services, as much as $150 for a pine coffin, and $50 for a grave, and is astonished that the Independent has not, ere this, said something about this extortion. As yet we have had no occasion for a coffin, or a bit of ground for grave purposes, and therefore know nothing about the price of such things. If any of our citizens think they have been imposed upon in this particular, it is their duty to ventilate the matter. We have heard no complaints. 
that first sentence is false, and that clause in the second, which refers to the independent, is false also. I knew better than to be astonished when I wrote it. Unfortunately for the public of Carson, both propositions in the third sentence are true. Having had no use for a coffin himself, the editor, therefore, knows nothing about the price of such things. It is my unsolicited opinion that he knows very little about anything. And anybody who will read his paper calmly and dispassionately for a week will endorse that opinion. And, more especially, his knowing nothing about Carson is not surprising. He seldom mentions that town in his paper. If the second advent were to occur here, you would hear of it first in some other newspaper. He says, if any of our citizens think they have been imposed upon in this particular, it is their duty to ventilate the latter. It is their duty, the duty of the citizens, to ferret out abuses and correct them, is it? Correct them through your advertising columns and pay for it, is that it? And then turn to your second page and find one of your insipid chalk-milk editorials defending the abuse and apologizing for the perpetrator of it, or, when public sentiment is too well established on the subject, pretending, as in the above case, that you are the only man in the community who don't know anything about it. Where did you get your notion of the duties of a journalist from? Any editor in the world will say, it is your duty to ferret out these abuses, and your duty to correct them. What are you paid for? What use are you to the community? What are you fit for as conductor of a newspaper if you cannot do these things? Are you paid to know nothing and keep on writing about it every day? How long do you suppose such a jack-legged newspaper as yours would be supported or tolerated in Carson if you had a rival no larger than a foolscap sheet, but with something in it, and whose editor would know, or at least have energy enough to find out, whether a neighboring paper abused one of the citizens justly or unjustly. That paragraph which I have copied seems to mean one thing, while in reality it means another. Its true translation is, for instance, Our name is independent, that is, in different phrase, opinionless. We have no opinions on any subject. We reside permanently on the fence. In order to have no opinions, it is necessary that we should know nothing. Therefore, if this undertaker is fleecing the people, we will not know it, and then we shall not offend him. We have heard no complaints, and we shall make no inquiries, lest we do hear some. Now, when I published a sarcasm upon the San Francisco Water Company and the iniquity of cooking dividends some time ago, in the attractive form of a massacre at Dutch Nick's, by an irresponsible crazy man, this lively independent came after me with the spirit of old Hopkins strong upon him, and launched at me the red bolts of its virtuous wrath for bringing the high mission of journalism into disrepute for leading the citizens of California to believe that the murderous proclivities of this people were more extensive than they really were, or, in other words, creating the impression abroad that we were all lunatics and liable to slay and destroy one another upon the slightest provocation. I did not reply to that, because I took it to be the fellow's honest opinion, and being his honest opinion, it was his duty to express it, whether it galled me or not. 
but he has permitted so many greater wrongs to pass unnoticed since then that i have arrived at the conclusion that he only did it to modify the circulation of the enterprise hereabouts i should be sorry to think he did it to procure my discharge he would not if he knew i was an orphan yet the same eyes that saw a great public wrong in that article on the massacre willfully see no wrong in this undertaker's impoverishing charges for burying people charges which are made simply because from the nature of the service rendered a man dare not demur to their payment lest the fact be talked of around town and he be disgraced oh your independent is a consistent harmless non-committal sheet i never saw a paper of that non-committal name that wasn't even the religious papers bearing it give a decided whole-souled support to neither the almighty nor the devil the editor of the independent says he don't know anything about this undertaker business if he would go and report a while for some responsible newspaper he would learn the knack of finding out things now if he wants to know that the undertaker charged three or four prices for a coffin the late mr nash's upon one occasion and then refused to let it go out of his hands when the funeral was waiting until it was paid for although the estate was good for it being worth twenty thousand dollars let him go and ask jack harris if he wants any amount of information let him inquire of curry or pete hopkins or judge wright stuff let him ask any man he meets in the street the matter is as universal a topic of conversation here as is the subject of feet in virginia but i don't suppose you want to know anything about it i want to shed one more unsolicited opinion which is that your independent is the deadest flattest most worthless thing i know and i imagine my cold unsmiling undertaker has his hungry eye upon it mr curry says if the people will come forward and take hold of the matter a city cemetery can be prepared and fenced in a week and at a trivial cost a cemetery from which a man can set out for paradise or perdition just as respectably as he can from the undertaker's private grounds at present another undertaker can then be invited to come and take charge of the business mr curry is right and no man can move in the matter with greater effect than himself let the reform be instituted mark twain territorial enterprise february eighteen sixty four legislative proceedings house thirty-fifth day carson february fifteen at one o'clock this morning as mr gray barkeeper at bingham's was leaving the saloon with his cash-box in his hand two men jumped out from the shadow of a door enveloped him in a blanket and seized the box gray held on to the property until the handle came off and then having no pistol shouted with good enough effect to attract the attention of two foot passengers who had these gentlemen opened a brisk fire on the retreating highwaymen sent eight or ten navy balls after them caused them to observe plaintively oh god and drop the box all the dogs in town woke up and barked they always do on such occasions but they never bite and they are opposed to chasing highwaymen so the same escaped mr gray recovered the box of course which contained about one thousand dollars mark you have got a mighty responsible delegation here from story county as mr curler remarked the other day 
when you put your finger on that delegation as a general thing they ain't there i believe you in the face of a notice given last saturday by mr claggett of the introduction of a little bill to remove the capital to virginia in the face of it i say only one member from story out of eight was present when the proper time arrived this morning for the introduction of the bill mr elliot was present he always is for that matter and always awake it has been a good thing for the whole territory on more than one occasion that he was at his post in the house one member was present seven were absent messrs gillespie hayton nelson phillips requa unger and barclay several of these gentlemen arrived an hour after the order for the introduction of bills had been passed now if the people of story do not want the capital it was the duty of these members since they knew the question was before the house to be on hand to use their best efforts to kill the bill and if the people do want the capital then it was the duty of those members to be here and do what they could toward securing it above all things they had no business to be absent at such a time they knew what was going on and they knew moreover that the fact that they have been pretty regular in their attendance when toll roads were to be voted on will indifferently palliate the offense of being absent upon this occasion last session story offered an immense price for the capital and nothing in the world could have kept her from getting it but her own delegation they kept her from it though mr burke was absent his vote at the proper time would have moved the capital and in the meantime mr tuttle of douglas was brought from a sick-bed to vote no i suppose this bill will be introduced to-morrow tuesday morning at ten o'clock and i suppose some of the story delegation will be absent again but if you want the roll-call to-morrow you can have it i have made a mistake mr gillespie came in this morning before the introduction of bills though he was absent at an earlier hour when the roll was called mark territorial enterprise february sixteenth eighteen sixty four the removal of the capital editors enterprise i have just returned from the capital where i have been a legislative spectator for a while the strongest conviction which the experience of my visit forced upon me was that the capital ought to be removed from carson city i think you would be of my opinion if you could see with your own eyes and hear with your own ears the doings of the legislature for a few days my first and best reason for thinking the capital ought to be removed is that while it remains in carson the legislative assembly is beyond the pale of newspaper criticism beyond its restraining influence and consequently beyond the jurisdiction of the people in a manner since the people are left in ignorance of what their servants are doing and cannot protest against their acts until it is too late your reports of proceedings take up as much room in the city papers as can well be spared i suppose and they are ample enough for all intents and purposes or rather they would be if the virginia newspapers could stay in carson and criticize these proceedings and also the members editorially occasionally a mere skeleton report carries but an indifferent conception of the transactions of a legislative body to the minds of the people for instance in the style and after the manner of one of these synopses mr stewart gave notice of a bill entitled an act to audit the claim of d j gasherie a day or so afterward we learned that according to former notice mr stewart introduced his bill 
you hear of it again in some committee report, and again as having been reported favorably by a committee of the whole. Next, your report says Mr. Stewart's bill passed by so many eyes and so many noes. The work is done. None of your readers have the slightest idea what Mr. Gasherie's claim was for, and neither does one of them imagine himself even remotely interested in knowing anything about it. Yet the chief portion of your readers, I take it, were very particularly interested in that bill, because they will have to contribute money from their own pockets to pay Mr. Gasherie's claim, and they were further interested, on general principles, because the passage of that bill inflicted a great wrong upon the territory. Now, if the legislature had been in session in Virginia, under the eyes of the press, instead of those of six or seven idle lobby members, I doubt if Mr. Stewart would have introduced the bill. I doubt if the Committee of the Whole would have presumed to consider it. I know the House and the Council would not have passed it. When Mr. Elliot rose in his place and objected that this was a bill to provide payment of a sum out of the territorial treasury, amounting to between $1,800 and $1,900, for the maintenance by Sheriff Gasherie of several Ormsby County paupers, the newspapers would have promptly seconded him in the suggestion that Ormsby County maintain her own paupers and pay the bill out of her own pocket and when Mr. Stewart acknowledged the justness of the suggestion, but said Ormsby had bankrupted herself by purchasing a set of fine county buildings, and must therefore beg this favor at the hands of the people of the whole territory, the newspapers would have known all about it, would have demurred, and the members, with a sense of responsibility thus forced upon them, would have intentionally voted no upon the bill, instead of voting aye, without really knowing, perhaps, what particular measure was before the House. Moreover, several other outrageous laws, already passed, could never have been passed in Virginia. Twenty thousand dollars of the people's money have been asked for to build a seminary in Carson City, and presented to two of her citizens, a private affair, and no more public in its character than Mr. Chauvel's fencing school here, and no more deserving of a territorial appropriation of twenty thousand dollars. Members were not wanting to vote for the measure, and to advocate it strongly. The bill would even have passed, probably, if Messrs. Claggett and Elliot had withheld their earnest opposition to it. Yet a bill to provide for the establishment and maintenance of a public mining college, a polytechnic school, has excited small interest among the members they forget that a mining education can be best acquired here in the territory. They forget also that the seminary could offer no inducements of a similar nature, since our citizens, for many years to come, will prefer to educate their daughters at the inexpensive and efficient seminaries of Benicia, San Jose, and Santa Clara. The seminary bill was resurrected on Saturday, consolidated with the polytechnic bill, thirty thousand dollars of public money added, and again brought before the legislature. So, twenty thousand dollars for a building, and a tax of one per cent on thirty million dollars of property for sundries. A crowd of young gentlemen and ladies in one building might affect the matter of public morals more than that of public education, I think. The school is not located in the bill, but the Ormsby delegation proposed to have it established in Carson. The governor is to appoint the trustees, and they are to fix upon a location, I believe. A mining school in a town fifteen miles from a mine, 
would be a beneficial thing in the abstract. Yet this $50,000 bill may pass after all. So may the act to purchase Mr. Curry's prison for $80,000 more. $130,000 to Carson, by way of compensation for the stream of iniquitous private franchises which has been flowing from one or two members of her delegation during the entire session. Could these bills, unmodified, pass, if the people could be thoroughly posted as to their merits by the press? I suppose not. Claggett, Brumfield, Elliot, and two or three other intelligent, industrious, and upright members have saved the credit of the lower house, and protected the interests of the people in nearly every case where it has been done at all. But they have received no commendation for it. Neither have idle members and members of easy integrity been censured. It is because the people have been left in the dark as to who they ought to praise and who they ought to blame." It was urged last session that Story County was disposed to stow away in her ravenous maw everything that came in her way. That argument lost her the capital by one vote. That argument, and one other, which was a written pledge on the part of Ormsby County, that if the capital were permitted to remain in Carson, halls should be furnished for the use of the legislature free of charge. Story County offered to erect capital buildings at her own expense, and move the officers and other governmental appurtenances within her lines also at her own expense. Let Story County make that proposition today, and it will be accepted. It is Ormsby County, now that is, striving with extraordinary energy to swallow all public benefits, not Story, and Ormsby has failed to redeem her pledge for she has charged the legislature five hundred dollars for the use of her courthouse, and, after making the contract, is now dissatisfied because the granting of a greater sum is refused her. Four members of one branch of the legislature support the specific contract bill, because it will result to their personal advantage in sums varying from one thousand dollars to four thousand dollars. More than that number have supported private franchises on personal pecuniary grounds. One member would vote $20,000 to the seminary, because he would reap an advantage, in dollars and cents, from the passage of the bill. Inasmuch as these statements come from the gentlemen referred to themselves, they are entitled to full credence. If there could be a merit attached to a wrong motive, I think that merit might be considered to be the small amount of intelligence required to keep from telling about it. But all legislators are not diplomats. Would it not be well to place the assembly where the press, and through the press the people, could look after it? Mr. Claggett gave notice on Saturday of an act to remove the capital, and the bill will probably be formally introduced today, Monday. If the people of Story County want the seat of government in their midst, let them signify it promptly and cordially. A looker-on. End of section 15